let that wash over you. There's not too many places that people go to make a proclamation like that. But when the brothers and sisters come to meet together and to proclaim in song, there is only one reason we do it. It's Jesus. And that's why we sing. That's why we proclaim what we do. It's great to worship God, isn't it? Grab a seat. Grab a seat. I love this cross. We're told to walk to the cross, aren't we? I get to walk on the cross right here. It's nice. Who was here on Friday? Okay. So some of you will understand what I'm talking about. I did talk about Paul's butt. Well, some of you are going to see my butt today because I'm going to be walking backwards and forwards, apparently. Okay? I get to cover the whole cross with you and the resurrection. He is alive. He is alive, that's right. Today is Resurrection Sunday. Listen to this. On Friday, Jesus hung on a cross from 9am to 3pm when he chose to die. How many of us choose to die? He chose to die. He was taken down. He was placed in an empty borrowed tomb where he laid all yesterday, Saturday. On Sunday morning, women came to the tomb, they found the stone rolled away, and Jesus' body was gone. And with that, the angel proclaimed, Jesus has risen. Go and tell his disciples. Needless to say, from that day forward, we followed a resurrected living Saviour. Let's pray. Great God, we thank you for the risen Lord. Father God, we're going to hear sound from my mouth this morning, each one of us. But we want to hear your voice over mine. And your voice has to speak to our hearts. And we would ask that the Holy Spirit would take the words that come forth this morning and challenge us. Do your work in us. We sing your songs, which are words of proclamation. We now want to hear your word of proclamation out of the Bible, your book for us. And we thank you for that. Open us. Open our spiritual ears that we might hear. Holy Spirit, have your way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I mean, isn't it great to hear the testimony of how Jesus touches people's lives? And I especially want to say thank you to my wife for doing that. Thank you. Yes, I did get to brief it because I thought, I want to know what she's going to say. (laughs) But it was good. Wow. I'm quite high up here, aren't I? And I've got to be careful about this. I don't want to bleed if I lift up. So, Fiona's witness is a declaration that Jesus rose from the dead. And her words speak volumes about the freedom and the purpose that exists in each one, for every one of us in, their, in our lives, if we follow after him. And this is what the resurrection does for us. Her testimony does that. And each one of you, I hope, have a testimony of that, 
of what the resurrection has done in your life. So I'm going to ask to do two things this morning with you as we listen into the Spirit. I'm going to first of all speak about someone close, very close to Jesus. Someone very close to Jesus whose life was changed. And then we're going to look at about what does that mean for us? So that's the journey you and I are on this morning, okay? Look at someone very close to Jesus and how his life was changed. But what does that mean for us? You see, Resurrection Sunday declares because Jesus got back up, we can get up also. We can rise because he first got up. We get back up. That's what we sing so loudly for. And it can truly take you from being a sceptic and a doubter to becoming a believer. I mean, that's where I came from. And I imagine most of you have come from that same place. But you don't just come out of it. You go on to being a promoter of what God does. We take that message. I think it was... She's not here. D. Discovery D said... And they told their friends who told their friends who told their friends who told their friends who told me. 2,000 years it's been passed down. And we're hearing the message of what we've been singing about. I want to show you what I mean by this, how it can change. I want to look at someone who had first-hand experience of this reality. If anyone's going to know the truth about Jesus and whether he died and rose again... It would have to be someone who knew him pretty well, wouldn't you say? Someone who experienced Jesus' life firsthand. Someone from his earthly family. How about someone like his brother? His brother. Think about your brothers and sisters for the moment. Now, Fee. What was the, one of the first things she said? I'm an only child. How many other only childs are in this building? Oh, we've got to take note. You can all get together afterwards. Okay. I saw that hand, Kurt. That's very funny. <laughs> yeah. But isn't it true, if you think about your brothers and sisters and growing up with them, you get to know them pretty well, don't you? I think that's right. So I'm guessing, everyone who didn't put their hand up. No. I was waiting for your hand to go up too, but then it would really clarify. (laughs) No. Um, You get a lot of dirt on your brothers and sisters, don't you? If we were to talk about it. A lot of memories. And uh, I think this fella probably had a lot of memories about Jesus. Let's face it. You eat. Sleep, bath, argue, fight, play, laugh, tease, discover, and the list goes on, doesn't it? If you've got a brother or sister, all of those things. You experience each other's highs, each other's lows, you know each other's strengths, you know each other's weaknesses, and you literally live in each other's pockets. Am I right? Yeah. Just look at the little ones that all run out. If you can't remember because you're as old as I am. You can know them nearly as well as you know yourself. We all have stories. We all have secrets. Good and bad memories about our childhood with our brothers and sisters. Is this going to work? Please work. 
Oh, we're going to do this one. It's on. That way. Oh, yes. Okay. It's my problem. No, it's not. No? There we go. Thank you. He chose it. Now, isn't that a beautiful picture? That's me. Guess which one's me? Yeah, look at that, eh? So as you can see, I'm one of three boys. I've got a little pointer thing here, haven't I? Right there. I'm the little dark guy in the middle. With the little weedy, white-headed, skinny ones on the outside. I'm the middle child. Okay? Hand up, middle childs. Yeah, middle childs rule. Okay. See, the problem with it, you're all going, oh, that's his problem. <laughs> Aren't you? That's what we get all the time. We get that. That's his problem. Yeah. The problem with three and being the middle, well, you see, I was the big kid and the other two were the weedy ones. Both of my brother, elder and younger, were both sick and so I kind of got left beside because I was healthy and well and I grew up... But whenever we did fight, it was always two against one, and it was always them against me, and I always won. <laughs> it was okay, I was the bigger. The sad thing about it all was they had convinced me that I was adopted. <laughs> I mean, look at me. You see, my other two brothers, Rob and Ian, they take after my mother's side. I take after my father's side. Big and bulky, and they're going, you're not our brother. You're adopted. <laughs> that hurts. So I've got issues about that. So I'm dealing with all that stuff, okay? But who would know Jesus better than one of his earthly brothers? Now, we've got to say half-brothers here, don't we? Remember, Joseph was Jesus' foster father. We can say it that way, as Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So this morning I want us to look at one of Jesus' uh, earthly brothers. And his name was James. His name was James. I'm going to have a picture of James. It's really hard to get photos 2,000 years ago. You'll have to just imagine him. But you'll see how the risen Jesus changed James' life. I want to take you on that journey this morning. Now the Bible tells us that... Uh, Joseph and Mary had a tribe. They had at least seven children. Any family here with seven children? Come on. Right there. Anyone else from seven? You know, did you grow up with seven? Is there someone I'm looking? No, only one. Rick? Oh, Rick. How many was in yours, Rick? Seven. Okay, cool. Now, here it is. This is what it says to us. It tells us that Joseph and Mary had at least seven, and here we go. Isn't this the carpenter? Talking about Jesus. Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James? Notice he's the first, eldest brother after Jesus. Joseph, Judas, and Simon aren't his sisters here with us. Now, I'm just saying there's two sisters. There might have been ten sisters. I don't know. So it could have been bigger than seven. But we're going to go with seven, and that's pretty much what history tells us, that Jesus was one of seven. That's amazing, isn't it? Now, Luke tells us at the age of 12, any 12-year-olds in here? Have we got any 12s with us? Yeah, put your hand up nice. At the age of 12, Jesus... Con, good. 
Did you hear that? We will have prayer for Con afterwards. She said he's got the height of 12. Kylie. I'm the This is what they said about Jesus when he was 12. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and men. Luke tells us at the age of 12, Jesus had the adults at the temple amazed with his understanding and his answers about God and the kingdom. At the age of 12. Now, you're 12-year-olds. Can you imagine that? He's there at the temple. Put him up here on stage. Can I put you 12-year-olds up here and speak to us all about how wonderful God is? (laughs) That's a big call, isn't it? And they said this. He grew in wisdom and stature. With favour with God and man. Now, if Jesus was 12, and this is what the adults were saying about him, what were his brothers and sisters saying? How would you like that said about your brother? My brothers know what it was like, but hey. (laughs) That's a big call. That's a big call. I think it was pretty clear to them, these brothers and sisters, that he was not like them, he was different. Now, we know that Jesus didn't start his ministry until he was about 30. Luke 3 tells us that. So he's got 30 years of living at home. There's not much mentioned about his father, Joseph, after he turns 12 in the Bible. So history tells us that maybe his father had passed on. So from just after 12, Jesus has to, as the elder brother, take over the running of the family business, carpenter, looking after mum and his brothers and sisters. Big call. Big call. So there was a good length of time for his brothers and sisters to get to know him. And I wonder what it was like to be Jesus' brother or sister. Is your head clicking over? Are you thinking up scenarios of what you did with your brothers and sisters and how that relates to Jesus? It's interesting as the Gospels unfold, it doesn't take long before you start to see that his brothers and sisters were a little put out and sceptical about their older brother, Jesus. You get this feeling that by the time Jesus is travelling around the country speaking about God's kingdom, his brothers were a little embarrassed with him. Look at this. Jesus went around in Galilee, purposely staying away from Judea because the Jews that were waiting to take his life. But when the Jewish Feast of the Tabernacles was near... Jesus' brother said to him, "Ah, you ought to leave here and go to Judea so that the disciples may see the miracles you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you're doing these things, show yourself to the world. And then he says this, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. How are you feeling? You got brothers and sisters that do that to you? It was as if they were mocking him. They didn't believe who he said he was. In fact, Jesus himself said his brothers and sisters were his biggest critics. Mark 6, 1-4, Jesus left there and he went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. And when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogues. Many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these teachings? They asked. What's this wisdom that he's been given him that even he does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and his brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offence at him. Jesus said to them, and look at it, only in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own house is a prophet without honour. The rest of the world, 
They're all up on it. They're walking with me. They're understanding what I'm saying, doing, experiencing. But when I get to my own home, I'm without honour. His own brothers and sisters seemed did not respect him. Maybe that's why when Jesus was talking with people inside a house and he was told that his mother and brothers were outside, he responded this way. Now, Jesus' mothers and brothers, they came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside waiting to see you. How did he reply? My mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. See, he wants people who respond to the word of God. Now, this word that he's talking about would have been the Old Testament. They didn't have the new one. They're writing it as he's doing it, aren't they? Those who know the commands of God, those who touch base with their God, who hear God's word and put it into practice. How would you feel if your brother was walking around the countryside saying things like this? I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Big call, brother. (laughs) I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, they will live forever. Big call, brother. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Wow, I want that, but that's a big call, brother. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will Live, Even though they die, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die, do you believe this? Big call, brother. They're very strong statements. What would you do? What would you think if your brother was saying these things? But then something happens. Something shifts. Something changes for those in his family, and particularly for James. And it all occurred after Jesus went to that terrible death on the cross, being crucified and laid in a tomb. Where do you find his family after his death? That's the question. Where do you find them? Well, the first reference to them is in the upper room with the disciples, waiting for the Holy Spirit to be sent. Have a look at this. When they arrived... They went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James. That's not James the brother. That's the brother of Andrew. There was Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew and James, son of Alphys. That's not the brother James. That's another James. And there was Simon the Zealot and Judas, son of James. That's not that James because that's Judas. James is a popular name, isn't it? And that's my middle name, by the way. Kenneth James Woolley. When I'm in trouble, that's what I get called. It's a family trade, I think. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with, along with who? Along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his, what's the word? Brothers. After his death and after he rose again, where do you find the brothers now? In the upper room. They've moved from mocking and doubting him while alive to meeting with the disciples after his death. So what changed them? What turned them around? What convinced them that Jesus was worth believing? Now, can I just say, 
In a court of law today, you only need one person to give testimony to the truth and it is held. Now we have a lot here, but here's one man that has testimony to the truth. I think a clue actually comes from this fellow here, Paul. He says, for what I received, I passed unto you as of first importance. The Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. It was all prophesied there in the Old Testament. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. It's all there in the Old Testament. Just read it. And that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. And then after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time. That's a lot of people. And in fact, Paul says, you know, most of them are still living. Because Paul, I'm sure, who's had a big change in his life, has gone around and talked to these people. Did you see Jesus' life? Did you see Jesus' life? Tell me what you saw. He's doing his homework here. He's wanting to meet people. Though he says some have fallen asleep, so some have died. It's a nice way of saying it. Then he appeared to who? James. There he is. There's the brother. Of all the people Peter gets, um, Paul gets to want, he wants to talk to James. Sorry, Jesus wanted to see is James. That's Jesus coming to James. Then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as the one abnormally born. It seems that when Jesus rose from the dead, he made a personal appearance to his brother James and met with him. Do you find that amazing? Of all the brothers and sisters he could have gone to, in fact, to all the people he could have gone to, Jesus says, I want to meet with my brother James. The next in line. This was enough to turn the sceptical unbeliever around. The reason Jesus touched his life. James knew his brother. James knew that Jesus was dead. But now James experienced Jesus alive. And any doubt about who Jesus was, well, it went totally out the window, didn't it? He was dead. Now he's alive. What do I do with that? James became a believer. And what a believer he became. His encounter with Jesus moved him that much that he actually became one of the great, the great leaders of the early church in Jerusalem. He became like they call the pillar of the church of Jerusalem. Read about it in Acts. That's how much James changed. And when the Apostle Paul turns from persecuting the Christians to becoming a believer himself... Who does he first want to talk to? This is Paul himself. Who does he first want to talk to? Look at this. Then after three years, now there's a good, Paul goes to Bible college. We're told he actually heads off into the the deserts of Arabia. Well, I reckon three years out there in the desert of Arabia, that's got to start to undo some stuff. Paul had to sort of... um, Recompute his head and go. I've got to get rid of all this stuff about the, you know, the Pharisaical way, and I've got to start thinking about the scriptures in the new way of this Jesus who's risen. Oh, wow, I've got to change. He spends three years, and then he says, "Then I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter, and stayed with him fifteen days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. Even the apostle Paul says, I've got to talk to this guy." Because he knows what Jesus is like. He grew up with him. And he knows what he's like today because he's met with him. Paul made it a point to meet with James over meeting with the other apostles. Why is that? Because James knew Jesus. 
just like you know your brothers and sisters. I believe James's meeting with the risen living Jesus turned his life around and set him on a whole new path. And this is the message of today. This is the message of today. Jesus' resurrection will do that to you. It will turn your life around. That's why we celebrate today. That's why you need to meet the resurrected Jesus. Now, here at LifeGate, here at LifeGate, we speak about the freedom and the purpose that Jesus offers. James found freedom and purpose in the resurrected Jesus. That's the truth of God's word to us today. You see, before James met the risen Jesus, he was bound by his past. His family childhood, his upbringing held him back from knowing the real Jesus. He had his preconceived ideas of who Jesus was and he was stuck in it. There's nothing worse than being stuck in the past, is there? You heard Fee's testimony? 30 years she was stuck at that level of where she had been grown up as a single child with a, as a latchkey kid. James had these preconceived ideas until he stood before Jesus, who he'd seen die on the cross and now raised to life. Wow. And for many of us, I hope it's just as true in your lives today. Because, you see, we're a bit like James. Our past can hold us back from knowing the freedom and purpose that the risen Jesus can bring us. And if you don't know the risen Jesus alive today, you need to speak to someone before you leave this building. I need to say that to you. You need to be touched like James was touched. Now, that's the person who had his life changed. What do we do with that? Where do we go with that? Give me a couple more minutes and I'm going to show you. You see, over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at roadblocks, haven't we, to moving forward? And today, like James, our past can be something that can hold us back. Negative experiences and incidents, events and circumstances that happened in our past can be like chains around our necks today. Now you've been sitting a while. I'm going to give you a little bit of time to shuffle in your seat. We're going to watch a little video, okay? Baggage. For as long as we've had stuff, we found ways to bring it along. Baggage started off big, but it got smaller, portable. Now one person can carry more than ever. Important stuff like clothes, toiletries, fancy little dogs, you know, necessities. But what's amazing is how much stuff we drag around that we don't need and don't like. Things that trip us up, wear us out, and box us in. Stuff like anger. What is wrong with you? Addiction. Overeating. <laughs> and overspending. It was amazing. They had such great sales. I couldn't believe it. We carry around past relationships. I don't know what I ever saw in you. I don't even dress well. Gosh. Worry. Unforgiveness. And selfishness. 
think that's a great idea, don't you? I love it. It makes us ask questions like, why did I do that? Or how did I get here? And what is wrong with me? Because this stuff is heavy. It's bulky. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It makes everything in life harder, especially relationships. You might not know where it came from or how you got it, but there's only one way to deal with baggage. Throw it down. Drop it. Just let go. Sounds easy, but it's not. You carry something long enough, it feels like a part of you. You walk away, but a minute later, it's back in your hand. Baggage is tricky like that. You gotta keep dropping, keep throwing, keep letting go, so you can take hold of something better. God's best for your life. And for that, you're gonna need both hands. We run fastest, love fullest, and live lightest when we let go of the baggage. Can you relate to that? You got baggage in your life? Has your past lives in the present? This is what God is talking to you about this morning. Give me a couple more minutes, okay? Jesus' desire for each one of us is to live in the freedom and the purpose that he's won us through the death of Christ on the cross and his resurrection. Because Jesus got back up, you can get up from your past. That's the message of today. You've all got it. <laughs> he said it many times. We've all got it. Like James, it might be family matters, but the past can raise many issues that could be a roadblock to your life today. Things like this. Run these through your head. Things like abandonment issues. Abuse. Now, abuse can come in sexual, emotional, psychological, even spiritual. Destructive criticism. Hatred. Anxiety. Loneliness. Grief. Broken relationships. Resentment. Feelings of inadequacy, guilt, depression, panic, addictions. And all we our addictions are just the numbers from the pain that we feel, aren't they? Fearfulness, family breakdown, separation anxiety, paranoia, distorted thinking, emptiness, sadness, fear of intimacy, feelings of unreality. Rage, fantasy, distorted thinking about yourself, and even denial. <laughs> I say that last because those are the ones who are sitting here going, oh, I don't have any of those. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? I live that life, denial. Our past sends us into hiding and it robs us of what is ours now. And when we try to hide from our past, we cannot help get any help for our own needs and our brokenness. And we're blocked from receiving the freedom that Jesus has offered us. You know, Jesus rose from the dead, showing each one of us that we can also rise from those death words that were said over you. Rise from those death actions that were done to you. Rise from those death feelings that hold you back from where God wants to take you. 
They're the chains. There's no freedom in chains of past. You've got to break those in Jesus' name. Your past that keeps you bound in the daily grave. The daily grave. I'd love to say now, put up your hand if that sounds like you don't. You know. Because the Spirit's asking you. The Spirit is actually telling you. That's you. You let him talk to you, okay? Have a look at this wonderful verse here. Oh, it's up. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, that's the Holy Spirit... If the Holy Spirit of him, Jesus, who raised him from the dead, dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. How did Jesus get back up from the grave? The Holy Spirit got him back to life. That's the same Spirit that lives in you. Now, that's a lot of power. That is God, the Holy Spirit, in you. You have no way of, or you can say it, But you you have no recourse to say it. My past is too hard. I'm not being trivial about this. It could be absolutely terrible. But it's not bigger than God. It is not bigger than God. It will chain you up. It will hold you down if you do not deal with it. And God does not want that. He wants freedom in your life. He wants to give you the purpose you were destined for. We must let God deal with the past if we're to live in the present. We cannot let our past hold secrets that create sickness of the soul. These roadblocks must be smashed. And we believe that the way out of this is to first of all get real. Now, getting real means being honest, doesn't it? That means acknowledging that something is blocking you from moving forward. And when that is acknowledged, you can then take action and move. To do this, you'll need not be alone. You need not be alone. You may need people around you to help you in that journey. Maybe you will need to talk to a counsellor, someone who has the tools to help you dig out of that deep hole. Maybe you need prayer ministry to come over you and pray over you. Maybe you need a life group, you know, a band of brothers and sisters of caring, gentle people who will walk with you through it. Maybe you need a mentor to hold you accountable so you don't go back there. And of course, you need the Holy Spirit. God is the one who wants you whole. He will provide all you need as you get real and take action to smash down those roadblocks that have held you back from the freedom he has for you. It's great to sing songs, to praise God on Sunday. But how is your week? How is your Monday and your Tuesday and your Wednesday? I personally have had to smash roadblocks from my own past. With the strength of the Holy Spirit, I fight against them. And then the problem is... They keep cropping up over and over. It's like that video. Where does that come from? I put it down, I turn around, it's there again. You know, I'll be quite honest with you. With my own family upbringing, through my relationship with my father, who I love, let me tell you, I love my dad. He's 83, still alive. We have a great relationship. But I tell you what, I fight daily against the excessive need for approval and my fear of failure. My dad's a perfectionist. And as a child, I struggled under that. I'm constantly seeking 
approval and my fear of failure. And I battle that. And it's the only way I can get through it, I tell you, is with the strength of the Holy Spirit. It amazes me how often it sneaks up on me. I want to give you an illustration. You want to have a little bit into my life? Okay, I've got your attention again. I want to show you something here. First, let me set it up to you. Um, Nathan said two weeks ago, <laughs> you don't know this. He said, you write the first life group study. I went, cool. I love that. I'm in that. I'm pastor teacher. They're my gifts. I love this. Okay? So I write the life group study. I send it off to him to see if I'm on the right track. Here's in the subject bar of my email is this word. I am concerned. Now, what does that do to a person who has excessive need for approval and a fear of failure? I was a puddle on the floor. Honestly, I'm sitting at the computer and that's what I was doing. <laughs> Those little words, I am concerned, were this big. It took up my peripheral. It was everything. And I sat there just going, I'm lost for words. What have I done? I can't believe this. I'll show you to the next line. So I opened it up. Push on this. Hi, Ken. I read over your resources and I'm really concerned about what you have written. Exclamation, 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 exclamation. Where did I go from there? I mean, I'm already a puddle on the floor. I think I just evaporated up into the air. I'm gone. I'm gone. Pardon? At least you got a hiking. You see how subtle the devil is? I was absolutely devastated. Not the devil. <laughs> Who said that? Is that? It was your sister. See? Right there. You got the brother and the sister dealing you here today. We'll wait for mum and dad in a minute. Um, I then read on. Let me show you his next line. I am concerned that everyone is going to think that you're a legend. You have to take it back off him now. But why should I be worried about an email like that? That's positive. But what did I do with it? You see where I went with that? I'll show you. I replied with this. You got me. I read your first line of your email and my heart sank. And I instantly died inside. I couldn't take my eyes off it. Wow. How could it be so, how could it be so wrong? This, that's the, the study I just did. What has happened? I was gutted. Then I read on. You completely played into my insecurity, I wrote. You played into my past. And he, he didn't, well, he might know this. No. <laughs> <laughs> and you got me. Well done, I said. Well done. Now that I've pulled myself together, I'm thinking, how could I think that the Holy Spirit had got it all so wrong? Because... I mean, I, don't, I, I want the Spirit to lead me in putting these studies together, not me. I don't, I, I've got good words, but they're not as good as his. I want his words to be the study that you all get to do. He never does let me down. My false self had me. See what I wrote there? My false self got me. You see, my false self is the things that says, oh, you're a mistake. You're a failure. You're hopeless. Those are the words that were said to me in the playground. Those are the words that I perceived my father saying to me because I wasn't perfect. But you know what? 
I make mistakes, but I'm not a mistake. Can you hear that, everybody? Because it applies to you just as much. We are not perfect. We make mistakes, but you are not a mistake. My false self from my past rose up and brought great fear upon me. It was so quick. And this is the danger. I could have just justified this by being angry. I mean, he wrote that to me. How dare he? I'm going to get on the phone right now and have a talk to him. And then, no, I, I won't get on the phone, but next week I'm sitting in church and I'm sitting here and anyone anyone want to come out for prayer? And I'm going, I need to go out for prayer. I've got anger and resentment against him. So I go forward and I have prayer. And you know what God says? I don't want your prayer for you over anger and I don't want the prayer over resentment. I want the prayer over you not dealing with you thinking you're a mistake. That's the root of my anger. That's the root of me thinking that way. Not that I'm angry. So often we come for the wrong prayer. We're not dealing with the past that generates the emotion. That's what we have to deal with. So what is it that's in your past? Words and actions that have wounded me from a young age have been my roadblocks and they've stopped me from moving forward. And for that moment, I took my eyes off God's promises and I melted on the ground. You see, this is how it happened. In the busyness of the day, I'd forgotten to claim the very words of God. Those words of my Heavenly Father that are in my life, which tell me to live in the victory and the freedom that I have. And it came upon me like that. And I was down and I was out. That's how subtle the devil can be. He knows your weaknesses and he'll get those darts in under the armour and he'll take you out. That's why you need to be in the word. Paul says this, It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Does anyone want to be under a yoke of slavery? Resurrection Sunday is all about getting that yoke off you and being yoked with Christ. Don't let your past make you a slave. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, you can experience freedom and purpose in your life to both get real and take action, living out all that is destined for you. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. Now, where do you come forward? Let's stand around the cross, okay? Worship team, come forward. You know, if you don't know the risen Jesus and you would like to come forward, we would love to pray for you. Maybe Jesus through the Holy Spirit, has got his little finger pushing really hard on something in you. And you're going, I need prayer. Come forward. These people are going to pray with you. If you want to be broken from that yoke of slavery and be yoked to Jesus, you need to come forward. You need to ask him to help you. Maybe you have no idea what it is in your past, but there's something, and you've never been able to name it. Well, come and get prayer, and we can then help you furthering with that, okay? If the Bible tells any story at all, it is the story of God who frees us from enslavement to the past. That's the story. Let me pray. Great God, we thank you for this day.